polish them off with with some kind of phase two um, battle school stuff, and then pack them off to the units. I think would that be fair, John? Yeah, I think that I think that's exactly right, mate. But I think they'll also be putting guys through junior and senior Brecon. I mean, I've got I've got no visibility of what's going on internally at the moment, um, but I would imagine that they'll they'll be doing junior and senior Brecon to train corporals and sergeants, uh, and then you might even have individual units running lunch jack courses um, and putting riflemen, you know, Ukrainian riflemen through, you know, basic junior leadership training. Um, not that, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to suggest that the Ukrainians aren't already you know, very competent, especially the lads who've been out in the field. But, you know, it's just it's just a value add to give them a little bit more um, of what we've got. But yeah, I, I think you're right. And, and definitely the SME stuff. I mean, clearly the SME stuff's happening already. And some skills, unfortunately, they will have to learn in combat. But then again, as we all know, I think combat steals the nerves when it doesn't kill. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it does sound like some units have, have been hemorrhaging their, their junior and senior NCOs. The, the, um, um, they, they seem to be getting particularly hard. So I would imagine some units are really struggling um, you know, for for, for um, section and platoon level um, seniors, probably especially. So, and but they will have a lot of combat experience people. So yeah, just yeah, just smashing smashing through Brecon. Um, but as I say, it's going to be fabulous because it is going to be a, it's it's not going to be a a, a one way um, talking session. It's it's going to be a mutual learning curve, I think. Um, and I, I think the instructors will, will be all ears, especially in the evenings when they doubtless they'll be meeting up for a few pints. There's going to be some incredible um, job knowledge exchange going on there. And, and we will be picking up, I think, as much as we're teaching them. And just, no, I uh, think that's just exactly that. right. Sorry. Please go. It's okay. Sorry, I, I was just going to say, just looking at this from a slightly different angle, um, there are going to be... You know, and it's obviously it's been going on already, but it's it's clearly going to deepen significantly. There are going to be bonds being formed, military bonds between the two forces, um, between UK and Ukraine, but also between Ukraine and other NATO states who are going to be working to train these guys um, that are, are going to bias um, the NATO militaries towards Ukraine in a really serious way, and it. it it's building institutional links that are, that are going to last far beyond this war. And I think hopefully will ease Ukraine's passage into NATO once this is over. But the, and the other, just one final point, there's been a lot, I mean, we talked about it yesterday, there's been a lot of sort of defeatist attitude in media in the West uh, over the past, you know, call it a week um, in terms of the Ukrainians' prospects. But, I think the, the level of commitment that's clearly being made is still there and is there for the long haul. Um, I think, you know, whatever the talking heads are saying, uh, we're in this to win it. I'm, I'm pretty certain of that. Um, and that is great news. You actually took the words of my, out of my mouth. I was just about to talk about the bonds being formed. That's exactly it. Because what happens now is that Ukrainians and the, our British friends, as well as Ukrainians and their trainers in other countries will build um, their future. They will build the future of what is NATO core d'esprit. And uh, that's one of the most important things which we can have. 
I wasn't keeping track of the order. I'm going to go with uh, Gunny, BG, Aaron, Jim, maybe? Gunny. I think, I think it's Jim, Aaron. Uh, then you can go him, Gunny, then me. Very well. Jim. Yeah, no, I agree with, with everything everyone's just said. I mean, it, I mean, you take the example of Estonia, who helped out uh, during the Gulf War. They lost, you know, they were, they were fine troops. The Americans gave them a lot of respect. They, lost, they took casualties. And, and joining NATO came as, as a natural consequence of that. Um, they deserved it. And the same thing will happen here, not, not just institutional links, but you know, a, sense of, a sense of obligation to people who've laid down their, their lives for the safety of Europe. Uh, so going to the training quickly, I mean, fascinating from Ryan again last night, he talked about which legions, which uh, nationalities were better at what. And he said the British were particularly good at tank hunting, which I'd be fascinated to get Aaron or John's opinion on that. I think there'll be a lot of specialists being trained uh, as well as standard you know, infantry uh, courses. Um, and, and going to the training again, uh, Ryan last night said the big challenge is, is particularly with the TDF outfits who are being rotated in as, as the, the, you know, the, the, the standard army is just running out of, of uh, energy. They've been fighting a hell of a lot. So they need a lot of training and, and, and they're very reluctant to pull senior off, senior experienced soldiers to train people. So this is going to keep people fighting uh, and just enhance the, the less experienced guys. I mean, the TDF guys usually don't have any experience at all. So it's massive and yeah, it's love you, Craney. Thanks. There's only a little quick thing I've got out and I've got to go on. Um... There's a certain training facility on top of Salisbury Hill or Salisbury Plain um, that they'd probably be wanting to push the Ukrainian through and that'd be the um, urban combat. And I'm on that note, I've got to shoot. <laughs> Drop down. Aaron, thanks for joining us. Uh, Gunny? Um, yeah, I think, I think if it comes to urban combat, we, we, we might be asking the Ukrainians to um, come and tell us how to build a proper facility as opposed to the... Um, the ones that we're still <laughs> using over here, because uh, I, I think our ones are, are based on a West German, uh, on an East German, West German village. So probably time to update that somehow. Um, yeah, just um, I've got to get my head back down for another couple of hours. Uh, just a shout out to uh, Nini Mac. I don't know if she's listening. She's just donated a shit ton of money to uh, Maria Raid, well over um, 200 notes. Uh, so that's really, really appreciated. That is superb. And to everyone else who keeps um, uh, chucking the odd 10 and 20 here, it, it's been absolutely fabulous. Uh, I've been knocked back on my um, rather large chunky heels, as you've now seen the footage, uh, and um, I'm continuously astonished at the generosity of all, all of you. So um, just a reminder, thank you very much. Uh, 5th of August is the next one, and that's when um, Aaron will be uh, getting her tattoo, which is um, made up. Uh, it's going to be a bit of a big one for us. She actually has cancer. It's incurable. So she's a little bit thing about needles at the minute. But she's um, said, even though we haven't hit the 10K mark yet, um, she says um, everyone has been so generous, she's going to get inked up anyway. So just uh, wait out. And there'll be another video of someone who's far better looking than me um, going to see PK. That was high time, you know. I mean, that strange face there with the beard. It's not strange, Axel. That, right, is a work of art. <laughs> the funny thing is, everybody here has a beard by now. Did you know? Well, if you if you're hot, right, and intelligent, 
and erudite, you have a beard if you're a bloke. Obviously, obviously, if you're a bloke. Although in gospel, there are some women who also wear BJ. No, I was going to say whatever training this is that's getting done in, in the UK, it's going to be it's going to be massive. I would assume if they, if NATO's trying to deploy, not really deploy, but to put into position three hundred thousand troops. Whatever training is going to get done over the next, I don't know, couple months, it's going to be massive. I'd assume, correct, for anyone like John or Jim or anyone that's been through something like that. Oh, I think the um the the three hundred yeah the three hundred thousand is in reference to already existing formations uh, within NATO, rather than rather than the Ukrainians who are being trained up at the moment uh, and who will be trained up over the the coming weeks and months. Um, yeah, I mean, I personally, I have my doubts that there are 300,000 deployable soldiers available. Um, so I think there'll, there'll be a lot of a lot of uptick in training within the armies themselves. So that I mean, you, you, you make a really good point in the in the sense that there is going to be huge pressure on the training establishments, um, both to bring some of the bring up the readiness of some of our own people. And also in tandem train this this huge volume of of Ukrainians as well, um, because I mean outside of outside of the US, you know, in Europe we've we've all been run down as sort of peacetime establishments with, you know, very exquisite kit in small numbers and sort of niche capabilities. So um, yeah, it, it's going to it's going to be a lot of work and not a lot of leave for people in uniform at the moment. Um, but I think it's I think it's the commitment that's important. Um, it's you know it's a, a clear statement to all of the all of the NATO members in the east um, that actually then they're, they're not going to be left hanging out in the wind um, to face whatever comes next in this process, uh, and that NATO you know NATO is is determined to to back them up um, because you know as we've seen seeding seeding land for time. Although the Ukrainians are doing it and they don't have a choice, uh, you know, everybody can see what the consequences are for the civilian population. So I think that as a strategy is is now gone um, and we're moving more into a doctrine of positional defence um, where actually you know, we're, we're not going to be prepared to see ground, um, which is which is a different approach and will require different force levels um, in terms of personnel and equipment. Um, and that's probably just probably the best i can do for you i'm sorry no you're fine that's a great answer i appreciate that i was just saying um i would assume i don't know if it's gonna be the same training course with the 200 you know ukrainian troops they're gonna have i was just curious if that was but i appreciate that answer that was great i do want to say though uh whatever whatever attack was on snake island i don't know if putin's just like delusional right now or if it's scarring or if he's just playing media but him saying that uh, he's now open to dialogue is hilarious after that snake attack <laughs> snake island attack happening just now so we were just yeah. talking Training uh, and massive amounts of training being done in places like the UK. We've got Sir Britt up. Um, Sir Britt, can you can you outline a little bit for us? I noted two hundred Ukrainian troops a day arriving into the UK uh, starting this week. Right? Um, how big a scale of an operation? Hey, Dominic, can you hear me? Okay. Loud Absolutely. Uh, perfect. Welcome, champion. Good stuff. Uh, well, good morning, everyone. Um, some people probably in the afternoon now. Eastern Europe, but um, just uh, but yeah, but uh, good morning and uh, very late early morning to the American people. Um, so what type of um, how big is the scale sort of the operation? Well, it's pretty huge, um, to be honest. This is an area that's been going on behind the scenes for a while. You know, training troops in the UK has been happening for months. Um, 
it's not something that's that's new, uh, but the scale of it is something that's uh, been really ramped up. Um, the UK trading site's not only just limited to the UK as well, there's a few um, in Europe as well. But uh, yeah, we really want to scale um, up our operation here. Um, it's been worked out with the Ukrainians. Obviously, a lot of things have had to be worked out because we're talking a huge number of Ukrainian soldiers being pulled out of Ukraine being transported to the UK and obviously this is all done in a very sort of um, the official details of the transport and all this is kept um, quite um, secretive thus so, thus so far and getting them here, getting them set up, uh, acquiring you know the trainers from the UK military um, and other, there's a few other trainers at the moment that, that are helping, uh, for example we've got a few Kiwis here who are helping um, and we we want some other nations to to sort of step up as well. They're not quite there with the energy yet, but uh, we think they'll work towards it. But in, from a UK perspective, this is a massive operation. Um, you know, I said um, 200 soldiers arrive in the UK every single day. Um, this is this is big, you know, and it's uh, big and expensive, but it's it's well worth it. So. Um, and it's going to focus on a lot of different things, um, a lot of different systems, uh, air defense systems, artillery, um, other types of systems, and basically infantry training and stuff like this. Um, and we're going to do as best as we can in the time scope that we have with them. Um, and um, the, the the trainers, the British trainers, you know, it's uh, very much a 8 a.m. start for them and like a six o'clock knockoff, seven days a week. So they're going to be incredibly busy. I already know, you know, certain trainers that have been sort of seconded uh, from different things around the UK um, to be sent to do the training across multiple sites in the UK. Uh, so, yeah, this is pretty huge. But I, I must actually stress here that this is not impacting the UK's um, overseas operations in, in, in other areas. Uh, we, we have um, done this without, you know, impacting where we'll be available to deliver uh, the UK's capability in, in other areas of the world, which we are also expanding um, as we're talking. So it's pretty massive operation going on from the MOD at the moment, really huge amounts of resources have been allocated from many different things. Of course, not a, not a lot of this has been talked about and rightfully so. But, um, you know, we're still expanding our operations um, outside of Europe as well at the moment. So it's uh, it's uh, everyone's uh, grafting um, and it's... Uh, it's really good stuff, and I think it's—I think it's a real credit, you know. And um, I'd love to say more, but I'll—I'll I'll leave it at that at the moment. But I, the—the uh, the beast, um, which is the mod, is—is—is uh, is, is getting fully liquidated and uh, is moving in full capacity. What does this do to the morale of all those fighting men in the British Army and the Royal Navy, knowing that they are once again called upon to fight a righteous cause? I would um, point that question more to um, one of our ex-servicemen here. They know about that feeling. But I can certainly, you know, speak. I'm not uh, military myself. A lot of people think I am. Um, I, I'm a crown servant, and uh, I still feel I do serve um, every day I go into work, although I am working from home today on my mod computer. But, um, but yeah, so um, but I can tell you from my perspective, um, as someone who's not in uniform, it's hugely immensely makes me immensely proud um i see the soldiers who i work with every day in my office um 
And as we're all absolutely ridiculing each other, um, whether it's the Navy staff, the RAF staff, or the Army staff that I sit with, and most of them tend to be quite high-ranking officers. Um, so when that band has not happened, they're also immensely proud. We're talking about it a lot. We're, we're you know, we're, we're, they tell me, you know, how the, how the guys are feeling. My brother, who's in the military, um, he's really proud. He's, he's in Africa at the moment on a ops with the Americans there. Um, so, but he's, you know, he's talking about it as well. There's a real energy at the moment, I think, in the sort of the UK MOD as a whole. And I think it does make people feel immensely proud. And I think that's something that we need to keep harnessing because I think pride um, in, in a good cause is immensely powerful. And the more prideful that we can be about this, the more energy that we can throw at this is going to generate into results, you know, and... I think there's, a, I don't know, I think it's sort of a, quite cultural in, in the UK or something. There's something about a, a British will to do something, to force something through, to endure with something. And I think I think that is being touched upon. And I think, uh, you know, I think that's been inspired from the top levels of government and it's flowing down. And I think it's uh, inspired, you know, um, through many different levels of command. But I would, the more military-esque of that, I would put to one of the, uh, to one of our vets here. John, maybe if you want to talk about that, because you were more land-based, let's say. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dream of trying to speak for other people. Um, and obviously, I'm not serving anymore. Um, but it makes me wish that I was. Um, and I have, yeah, the well, obviously the utmost respect for for everybody who, who's pulling to make this happen. But I would say it's uh, it's a nothing like this has happened in my I mean I'm 44 nothing like this has happened in in my lifetime um obviously and there's a real visceral sense of injustice and evil to be to be honest um you know evil is assaulting Europe again um and I I can't I can't rationalize the thought processes of people who don't look at this and just want to make sure that even if they can't, you know, even if they can't physically go and fight, um, that they are doing everything they can and that their governments are doing everything they can to put this evil back in its box and make sure that it's locked so tight that it never gets out again. Um, which, which isn't, a, a, you know, <laughs> it's not a generalizable answer for how the british military feel um but i talked to obviously i'm still in touch with a lot of my a lot of my old pals um and i would say that that that's a, a sentiment that is that is widely held can you imagine the frustration in the german army no no i can't um and I've, I've actually worked with some german officers um and they were good guys uh so no i imagine that they're feeling just as uh, just as anxious and possibly angry um, that they're not, you know, their their nation isn't doing what they feel and know that it could be doing, um, and that I imagine that's very deeply frustrating on a professional and personal level. That is an understatement. But those guys who have been training the Ukrainian chaps on the howitzers, I can definitely tell you, were very impressed by the people who came and have forged some bonds, and they are trying to, shall we say, escalate this upwards so that people understand what actually. What fine boys we have there. Yeah, I suppose there's an element of of trying to overcome a certain degree of political cynicism. You know, none of us, 
know, none of the none of the militaries, none of the, the civil servants who are making this happen. You know, they don't they don't suffer from that. And you could argue that they don't have to weigh the responsibilities and the decisions and the, the reasons of state that would make a government take a course of action that or, or not take a course of action, which in itself is a choice. Um, so you have to have, I suppose, some some sympathy with political leaders in that respect. Um, but at the same time, you know, if if you can find a more black and white issue of right and wrong and good and evil in the last 70 years, then, then please let me know. Um, because I can't think of one. Well, I, for one, am very proud of my English mate. Okay, um, I think Sir Britt only has a couple more minutes to go. If anybody has questions about uh, new British MOD commitments or new British... I do, I do. Uh, now, is this... You may not be able to give an honest answer to this since you work for the Crown. It is what it is. But is this like a general like population? Do they support this movement or not? Like publicly? You mean like public support across the UK? Yes, for, for this, you know, 10,000 plus... Uh, troop movement through through the country. To be honest, mate, I think probably the average Joe probably wouldn't be able to tell you that it's even fucking happening. So um, understood. Uh, but um, <laughs> um, it's not, not not that it's a secret. It's just you know people in the UK right now. You know, there's there's obviously cost of energy crisis going on and stuff like this, and uh, cost of living. Sorry, and you know, cost of energy is part of that. And uh, but there is genuine you know huge support um, in the UK. Um, I but the MOD base that I'm stationed at at the moment. I, I moved to a little town, very little town, uh, beautiful. It's in the southwest, though, a bit of weird folk down here. As a northerner, it makes me a bit uncomfortable. Um, I know we've got a few southerners here as well, but uh, we have our we have our jokes. But uh, okay, but anyways, I'll move on from that. Um, oh, by the way, the other day I heard something that a hole was a nice place. It's a fucking toilet. I just want to throw that out there. Anyone? It's an absolute fucking toilet. Okay, right. Yes. Move it yes. on. I said it. I said <laughs> it, mate. I was astonished. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know who came in with that, but yeah, the place is a fucking toilet. Don't trust them. Um, anyway, so there's obviously a lot of things going on in the UK, rising costs and all that sort of stuff, but uh, the genuine support is massive. And I want to give like a little antidote. Noticed, um, even where I came from, um, and I sent Domin a picture of this, even in the north where I come from and come down here uh, to come down south, you get these dog shit bins that are littered around everywhere. And pretty much on everyone I've seen, they have a, th- a sticker on them called Putin, just as a little pun joke sort of thing uh, so they're everywhere um the local little church here is flying uh the ukrainian flag every day um, pretty much every little shop on the one high street this little town has has i stand with ukraine um in the 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 house that i'm living in there's a ukrainian flag flying across the streets there's more ukrainian flags flying and um i was walking through the town uh, i was half cut to be honest um but uh, it was only about three o'clock as well, Christ. Um, but um, there was a communal prayer going on right in the middle of the town. And they had a Ukrainian flag out. Uh, they had like these, uh, like the sort of the sunflowers and the candles and stuff like this. And there was a communal prayer that was going around it. And I'm, I'm personally not religious, but I, I, I stood there for like half an hour. And it was amazing to see people from all different age ranges who would come just stand there for five minutes. And nothing was said. Right. It was like perfectly quiet. Uh, one guy gave like a little sermon of like five minutes, but everyone just came sort of nodded their heads to their families. And this is a little town, you know, and it's just, you know, so public attitude, I think, is very much behind this. You know, I do think people are concerned. And of course, you will get those pricks who will be like, oh, why are we sending them all this money and stuff like this? But the genuine support is is huge from what I've encountered. And that's just as you everyday citizen um you know and um, i was immensely touched by coming down here and seeing 
the amount of Ukrainian colors that you find around here. So I hope that gives you a little bit of uh, insight. Thank you, Sabrit. One one last question before you have to go. Um, what is the, the billion pounds, so $1.2, $1.3 billion worth that was just pledged? What is that going to be focusing on? What kind of equipment? So the focus um, is across a few different things. Obviously, not everything will be mentioned, but the, the official statement was on uh, sophisticated air defense systems. Um, again, I, I won't specify anything until it's been officially specified. Um, more electronic warfare equipment, um, which is being really helpful. We've been really helping the Ukrainians out. They, they love some of the kit we've been sending them in that area. And it's a domain that we've been really spearheading for them. And I think the other thing that was just said is just vital kit for the, uh, for the Ukrainian soldiers. Um, again, I don't want to specify anything that hasn't been specified, but you know, there's videos and stuff going around that the press have finally been let into soldiery planes. And so there's a couple of videos of them, so you might see some kit that they've been trained on and stuff like this. So people could start to draw their own conclusions of a lot of stuff. I can I can push about another 10 minutes, mate. Um, so I'll stay on for another 10 minutes. Um, but uh, after that, I will have to go. So if anyone has any burning questions. How, how real questions can you answer? What do you mean, mate? Because there was a statement that was made about Taiwan from... Liz, that you can either give your opinion on or you can't give your opinion on. It's up to you. She's advocating for the UK should do in Taiwan what should have been done in Ukraine sooner. But I know this is a Ukraine space, so we'll leave it at that if you guys need to have it at just Ukraine. I'll just I'll make a quick remark. Um, I'll just simply say that um, the, the West's inaction uh, towards Ukraine um, very much led to this and we're learning lessons from that we're seeing other countries around the world that we know are threatened and we're thinking do you know what let's not make the same mistake twice here i agree wholeheartedly that, that's that's probably a good a good place to leave it um gunny jim uh if you have questions if you have points for sir brit you know uk training etc um yeah just about taiwan britain's uh statement in, of intent was queen elizabeth deploying we've already said that we're going to um become a you know deployed globally uh and and the carrier going out that way uh, was our statement on that um yeah i i, I mean it's that's separate as, as ever is absolutely spot on uh with everything he said what, what i would just point out though to people is um in the military you get very used to uh the fuck around factor um the the, the military in my time we covered fireman strikes which upended um everyone's lives um and um, we ended up doing firefighters' jobs uh, on a lower wage. Um, foot and mouth, uh, the Olympics, because they screwed that up and they had to draft in the military. Um, if there's a flood, you get called. If a dam goes, you get called. If a puppy gets lost in Western Supermare, the military get called. So it's something you get really used to and you, you, you kind of drip about it. Um, I, I had to change my wedding four times of operational commitment what i would just remind everyone is it's not just 200 people a day coming in this is probably hundreds if not thousands of, of uk military family lives are going to be absolutely turned upside down over this and um, to get this training and what's going to be different though i don't mean there's going to be any griping going on i don't think wives and girlfriends um and and the and the boys and girls in units are going to have a drama with this at all because for once just for once, it's going to be really nice, I think, not to be fucked around unnecessarily, but to actually get something out of this for a fabulous cause and a righteous cause. Uh, and I think everyone in the mill is just going to go at this with an absolute passion. 
Um, and yeah, I, I think you're right, Axel. I think militaries in other countries, um, there are going to be people grinding their teeth at this because there is nothing worse when you're in a military and something of the good fight is on and having to sit there on your hands with your thumb up your ass while other people go and do the fighting for you. They will be chomping at the bit. They'll be furious. They're going to be absolutely envious. Um, and the, the NATO militaries that are undertaking this training are going to have a little sly smile to their face because they are, they're going to be doing the absolute maximum that they can do to help Ukraine. Uh, what do most people think? I think Sir Britt's right. I, I, I think people are kind of swamped with a, a lot of stuff. It's been a, a fucking dreadful three years. Um, but I have not run into anyone who has had nothing um, but support for Ukraine. Uh, the, the problem is, as ever, you get on social media and you get the usual suspects stop the war coalition. They fucking die, you idiots. You, you, you know, people like that, they're big, big, big on social media, fuck all in numbers. Um, I think the vast majority of people um, are really supportive. And that's why I've got a very big Ukrainian flag hanging out, uh, hanging out the front of my house. And I've got a Ukrainian family living next door. So, yeah, happy day. Thank you for that. That training got to be galvanizing too for like a, like a force even for your own people to be training their people is just galvanizing all around that's what i was saying like magnitude's got to be huge thank you for that jim Jim. yeah I, I back what everyone's been saying i mean there's there's tremendous support in the uk across the board uh for ukraine uh you know the my, my the church in my my local village uh has 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 uh flags up uh the, every every pretty much every house you go past has got a Ukraine flag. Um, everyone you meet is, is talking about it. That you know, there's there's people talking about refugees, how they're helping them out, how they're contributing to charities, and and with regard to the military, I mean, you know, this is one thing that's pretty consistent in the UK. It is support for our military. Um, there's tr- massive respect for what what our boys do. Um, I, I never served myself, but my my grandfather did, my father did, my cousin did. Um, you know, and, and thank you for everyone on this channel who has served. You know, thank you very much. And, and the Ukrainians are thanking everyone in the UK right now. Uh, it, it's a big deal. I mean, to, to measure the temperature in the UK, you only have to go as far as the Sun newspaper, right? It's the most popular newspaper. You know, everyone reads it from, from top to bottom. And they're right behind Ukraine. They, they this, you know, it, it's, it's F Putin. It's you know war crimes being committed. So, yeah, this the the British British government policy is very much uh, you know, a reflection of what everyone in the UK thinks. Thanks, guys. Um, I had a question about Maria Aids, so maybe you can push it to later when Sir Brit is done. I don't know. Um, yeah, sure. That, that works. Thanks, Wisniewski. Uh, Visa. Yeah, I had a question about um, the. Uh, building up forces and uh, sort of 40 to 300 uh, slash 4,000. Um, the question is that what are we, are we expecting trouble or are we just sending a message? And um, yeah, maybe Gunny or you uh, or Sir Britt uh, for that matter, if you understand the question. The message from NATO itself. The message from NATO itself is that we want to be prepared in every land, sea, and air assault that could possibly happen on territories. So every message is sent from that, and the, you see 300,000 troops in those areas with 
military equipment ready to go and whatever message you receive from that or someone receives, that's on you. But just know that every one of those areas in land, sea, and air will be covered. Do you want me to... Yeah. So going from 40,000 to 300,000 forward deployed, how significant is that? How big a thing is that? Maybe compared to, you know, what was stationed in West Germany in the 70s? Um, yeah, so obviously it's a it's a massive increase. And what it is is a completely fundamental shift in our change and outlook on European security, which is... Um, you know, more evidence as well that just how wrong, you know, Russia has got this, you know. And um, I, I was personally, it was, I, you know, up, coming up to the time, there was rumours of it. Obviously, there was different back and forth. There was a lot of communication going about. At one point, it was 400,000, then it was down to like 200,000, and it's ended up somewhere in the middle of 300,000. So what essentially this is, is obviously 300,000 soldiers are not going to just be deployed tomorrow. That's not what this is about. Certain nations are deploying more assets to Eastern Europe, um, you know, so that will be left to the own national governments about how they want to do this. But what we have at the moment is putting a lot of these soldiers under that sort of NATO command. Um, NATO has, um, in a very simple terms, has sort of like um, a command structure that countries put their troops under. So you might have designated NATO aircraft, designated sort of NATO task force in terms of a fleet, and then a designated NATO command soldiers and stuff like this. That's a very simple way to look at it. I'm just trying to keep things simple. And, but then you also have countries of their own sort of bilateral or their own contribution as, as an independent sort of nation, let's say. Um, so you have these two structures. What this is, it's shifting a lot of the independent contribution under the sort of strategic NATO command, under the command of what will be the... Uh, European um, strategic command um, done by the European like Allied commander, uh, which is um, the US holds that position, or the the deputy you know, supreme um, supreme Allied commander, which is held by the UK. So it's shifting more powers into their direction, and it's assigning more troops. That in the event of, say, for example, Russia begins to um, invade Poland, it's the event of that then triggering these soldiers to be in a position where they can be pre-deployed uh, to, to, to fight uh, on behalf of uh, NATO. Um, so that's kind of the troop numbers. That's where that's come from. Again, there are going to be some more soldiers sent to Eastern Europe, but not every nation will begin deploying more soldiers. There'll probably be an increase in stream from several different nations, but you're not going to be seeing your know, 300,000 soldiers being deployed. Um, what's also happened is the pre-positioning of equipment. So essentially what this is, very simple concept. Um, we're going to move more equipment to places like Germany, places like the Baltic States, places like Poland, places like Romania and stuff like this. We're going to send more equipment to there. So in the event that something does happen, the equipment is there, it's ready. And we've also been learning a lot from logistics in what's been going on in Ukraine. So we're drawing many lessons from that um, and understanding how we can better supply in, in a larger scale. So there's kind of like um, doctrine learning in terms of, and that's a way to put it. So a huge amount of that is going on at the moment, and that's part of that. And it's not just soldiers. So there's um, aircraft as well being assigned. Um, so the, for example, from the MOD perspective, um, they have significantly increased um, the, uh, de the deployment of uh, this NATO structure. Um, so it's highlighting those that will be available, and it's pre-positioning that plan. Um, it's also a different change in strategy that's been happening as well. Um, we're moving away from sort of the tripwire, um, as it's sometimes known to, that we had beforehand, before before this invasion. And what we're moving to now is a much more solid uh, deterrence. Um, you know, so Russia knows 
now, you know, because we've said it publicly that at the initial commitments that NATO can provide, you know, we're talking, you know, I said the 300,000 number of deployable ready soldiers uh, across all the nations. Um, and obviously they know that that's just the first wave of NATO's initial defense. And what you have to remember is that the strategic deterrence of NATO, that 300,000, um, many people forget that, that's not all NATO can bring to the table. That is to hold what would be known as, say, the Russian horde until proper mobilization can then take place. So the commitment would actually be far greater than that in, in, in the long scheme of things. That is the initial strategic defense of NATO's pre-positioned soldiers um, and pre-positioned equipment, warships and aircraft. Does that help? I think it does, Sibrid. And I think VSL was asking, you know, does this mean there's a high likelihood of war, right, between NATO and Russia? And I think the, the thing to highlight here is really to say, look, deterrence is what this is about. This is so war doesn't happen. This is so Russia knows that they have no chance of getting into the Baltics, of getting into Poland and actually doing Absolutely, yeah. And one thing that I uh, that I forgot to mention is... Um, I know the uh, the the uh, the Americans are uh, doing this in Poland, and I know the UK is doing it in the Baltic states. I'm uh, they're the only two countries I'm aware that none of that's doing it at this moment. What we're doing as well is we're developing strategic defence in those nations. Um, so basically, um, some of the the Polish uh, Polish sorry the Baltic state leaders. I can speak more to the UK example. The Baltic states leaders have been pleading with the UK. Um, in recent sort of months and stuff like this, particularly Estonia, because obviously the UK leads the battle group there, more strategic defence and more strategic defence assets to be deployed. Now, a lot of that stuff will be kept under the surface, but they've been really asking us to help them to develop that strategic defence, to develop that training, to develop that partnership about strategic defence. And we know the Polish have been doing the same with the Americans. So there's been some agreements that have been going on behind the background. Um, in kind of like a, a quad way between America and Britain and the Baltic states and Poland. And this is something as well that's come out of it. Um, I won't speak too much about that, but yeah, that's something else that's been developed as well. And I hope other nations will, will join that cause as well. And when it comes to forward deployment, um, you know, last night, about 12, 13 hours ago, General Ben Hodges, whom we've had the honor of hosting on this space a couple of times, he actually came out and on Twitter specifically said, I was wrong on this. We should have started with increased permanent presence and NATO's Eastern Front years ago, right? This is the, the acknowledgement, the, you know, the moral fiber that, that, that has to come from a former three-star general to say, no, 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 my, you know, my bad. No, we should have done this years ago. Thank God we're doing it now. And had we done it previously, you know, maybe um, maybe Ukraine wouldn't have been invaded. That is beyond what he's saying. But right, he, he very clearly identifies that you have to be strong with Russia. Weakness just weakness is what provokes Russia, not strength. Right? And um, that's now being done and that's now being formalized in that NATO meeting. Um, so, yeah. Thank you very, thank you very much, Sir Britt. Uh, I know we have meetings to go to, and we have Snake Island to get back to. Uh, Gunny, do you have a final word on this? Yeah, I, I would just say I, I am a little bit confused. I mean, I, I I saw the announcement, and the announcement for for these um, unit increases came along the same time as um, various people are saying it's going to take Russia at least five years militarily to bounce back from this, probably longer. Um, I think this is aspirational as with all things military i'm always a bit dubious i've simply because veterans have seen so many um bright ideas come out the bright ideas club uh and then quietly get binned 
I, I personally think it's not just directed at Russia. I think NATO probably want to increase global um, readiness levels um, and take on a more interventionist, potentially more interventionist role uh, and be able to get units um, out globally um, far quicker. But I've also noted with interest, um, it, it sounds like the, the, the government in the UK are not going to do a defence um, expenditure increase at the minute. Um, there's been a bit of kicking and squealing about it. I think, to be honest with you, that's sensible until we've got defence spending under control insofar as um, stop spunking it against the wall. I, I think that a, a good number of British taxpayers would be happy with an increase in defence expenditure as long as they get goodies out of it. Um, and the problem is this has come along uh, at the same time as projects like Ajax. Uh, and rightly so, the taxpayers scratching their head, looking at it and going, well, look, you, you want extra money for defence, and yet you waste billions on, on bits of kit that are frankly shocking. So I, I, I think for everyone stamping their feet and saying, well, how are we supposed to do this massive uplift um, without the extra money? Well, first of all, the, the, the Boris has is, is kind of pivoted towards naval power a little bit before this. We've got a really good, solid um, frigate programme, dual-type dual frigate programme in, in build progress now. Plus, we've got the dreadnoughts, the four um, dreadnought ballistic missile boats, which which are really behind. Um, so I would say, well, first of all, let, let's start getting our value for money. We'll get more out of the current budget. And then we can start talking about uplifting it a little bit more. Because at the minute, it's, you know, sometimes with defence, it feels like you just throw money in, in into the sausage-making machine, unfortunately. And that's infuriating for people who are in um, and for people who are having to pay for it. Yeah, and this will uh, be my uh, final point. So, yeah, defence expenditure is a very uh, hot topic at the moment. It's been in the news more than, than usual, and it's obviously a very hot topic internally in defence. Um, there is enough um, money at the moment. Um, you know, defence expenditure in the UK has risen uh, since about 2018, um, and um, so and we maintained you know the, the two percent since I don't know like 2012 or something. Um, I think it dipped a little bit at one point, but uh, we've basically always maintained what NATO has said that we need to maintain. And defence expenditure has risen since about 2018. The problem that we have at the moment is with, with, with the whole, you know, an inflation thing and stuff like that. And that's a difficult uh, topic. I'm not an economist, so I won't go too much in that. Um, but, yeah, this is certainly a hot topic. Um, there's enough money in the system at the moment, um, you know, and defense venture isn't always what it seems to be. Um, what a country actually spends on defense is the exact numbers of it is actually like very highly protected, very highly classified and stuff like this. Government never spend defence on what they say they're going to spend defence on. It just never happens. You get overspends in many areas. You get different money that's highlighted for different pieces of equipment. For so, for example, there's like over the next ten years, there's like two hundred and sixty billion pounds of expenditure that's already been allocated for equipment uh, for the UK military. You know, but that doesn't come into like sort of the everyday defence spending calculus type of stuff, right? So this is all the different requirements of it. So defence expenditure is not as simple as what people think it is it's not just that's what they spend on defense and that's it um you know it just doesn't work like that it's a much more complicated beast than that and you know because as um you know um i always know you as wings but uh, you've changed your name now but uh as wings said you know like it's it's um you know th things things get uh 
wasted in other areas, you know, and then the treasure has to come and do other things. So like, it's a complicated issue. And I think there is certainly an appetite um, to do the general increase in defense expenditure in, in the UK. And I suspect that it will come. But at the moment, what what I know so far is that Boris is very keen to do it. The Treasury is dealing with a lot of difficult things at the moment. Um, and they really are. You know, the UK economy is being shafted by many different angles at the moment. So it's uh, it's difficult, you know, to, to, to deal with all that and then to allocate, you know, billions of more pounds uh, every year to defence. That's a difficult thing to do. Um, but the the message that I have at the moment is that there's enough money in the system for the moment. Um but now is just not the right time to maybe uplift the defense expenditure from a political perspective. Um, so I don't want everyone to panic to think like money's going to run out in defense and stuff like that. I know some news media has been put it that way. And I know some people like from the military um, and uh, from the MOD seem very critical of it, but that's just because they want more. You have to understand that government departments want more money all the time. Um, but the, there is enough oil in the system at the moment and you're seeing that being being done you know and um, the additional billions that the uk is finding to send to ukraine but you know you have to remember that all of this logistics that that the uk is offering um you know and the uk is doing a huge amount in that area like to give some perspective um i did some rough sort of open source stuff uh, the other week uh, just out of interest because once with i was tracking and uh, over a two-week period uh, we saw that the u.s army the u.s um, Air Force did 17 transport loads into Poland. The UK did 14, you know, and the closest other one, Europe partner to that, was four. You know, so the UK is finding money here. Money is being found and things are being pushed hard. And um, so the, the beast is turning. And obviously this requires money. The training program that's going on in the UK, which is the largest training program any NATO ally is offering at the moment, 200 soldiers every day arriving in the UK. This is a massive program that costs money, costs a huge amount of money. Who do you think is paying for it? It's being paid for by obviously the, the, the UK. So like, and we're still finding these billions to send, you know, everything costs money, right? So money is in the system. So just don't panic about the defense expenditure at the moment. Um, that's a longer term thing. But this, what I'm trying to highlight is that it's more complicated than it actually seems. Um, but there is appetite for it at the moment, so it's one that I would just advise people to keep an eye on. Um, you know, maybe we might see something in the in the autumn um, for the actual budget. But uh, I will I will have to go uh, now. Uh, so thank you. Uh, I'm sorry it's brief this time, guys. I apologise, but uh, I've got uh, I've got meetings at half past, so um, I do need to head off. I'll probably listen for another five minutes while I'm getting some paperwork together, and then I've got a meeting. Oh, I want to leave one more antidote, and this was uh, really touched me. The other day I was at a, um, an MOD base and um, I was sat around a meeting and we, 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 we're getting some of these things and just side issue, doesn't matter what we're getting. But we were buying 440 of them, right? Doesn't matter what they are. And we sat there meeting and the money was, you know, being sort of um, calculated and stuff like this and, the, you know, contracts are being signed. And I saw our one star sit and think to himself and he leaned forward and I saw him write a, a note on the contract thing and he changed it to 540. And and I saw him and I, uh, and I was like, what are you doing? And he leaned back and he just said to me, he went, we'll send 100 to Ukraine. So there you go. Um, so there's a little, another little antidote. So yeah, um, so there's that. Uh, but I will leave you with that. And 
thank you and i will listen for five minutes and then i will see you all uh take care thank you sabred um cj if you have a training note go ahead if you have a snake island note hold your fire because we're going to go to vishnikovsky who's been waiting for like half an hour now and then we're going to turn straight into into snake island i think he left vishnikovsky hasn't no okay i'm sorry cj if you have a training note go ahead yeah no i was just curious um you know the, the training note really for me is as britain gets his force more ready. I wonder, you know, when we talked yesterday about the U.S. Uh, setting up a, a semi-permanent to permanent uh, forward deployed headquarters, you know, it was to free up other army units to fight in the Pacific it ever came to that. So I was just wondering what, like, sort of the secondary and tertiary British uh, military concerns were based out of this, you know, obviously, because the idea is, you know, there's more than Russia in the world. So I was just, I was just going to ask that, but I do have to go. So I want to say, from the uh, bottom of my heart and from the whole artillery community, fuck you, Russian warship. Thank you, guys. What a mic drop. ECJ. Yeah. Vishnikovsky, go ahead. Um, you have a thing for us, and then we're going to turn to Gandhi's Yeah, thank you. Um, thanks to Sir Brit for all his um, insights that he provided, and Thanks very much to the United Kingdom for all they do for Ukraine. It's just unbelievable how they're standing up for freedom and democracy once again. I, I know Second World War, we Austrians and Germans were the absolute abysmal bad guys and you justified, kicked our ass. Thanks for that. And now it's time to kick Russian ass. And thank you, United Kingdom. Thank you, America, for, for standing up, for showing Europe the way I mean, Poland and the Baltics also are leading the way. But I think without UK and US support, Europe would be effed once again, and it won't be forgotten. And I won't like with my future kids. I will certainly tell them who who saved who saved Europe once again. Thank you for that. And with that, I wanted to go to a question. Um, I saw the action. Um, that Gunny was pulling up with the tattoos and I just had a question. So thanks Gunny for that. It's a fantastic thing to do. Um, I just wanted to ask when donating to Maria Aid, is there any special button that one needs to click um, to donate to the Gunny action? So where you keep the count or is it just a straight donate to Maria Aid without any extra buttons? There's, there's like a note that you can write somewhere, you know, like the purpose, the intent of the nation. Um, and and that, that's where you just, you know, write in Gunny and whatever else you want to. But, but basically, if, if you add Gunny, then it's, it, it knows to be registered under the, the, the Gunny tattoo action. Okay. Thank you, guys. And thanks, Gunny. Awesome. I shared your pictures. I'm pushing the message on LinkedIn. I hope I reach more people. Um, Maria 8, here we go. Thank you. Slavo Green. Thank you, mate. You're very, you're very kind. Um, I, I keep saying my absolute um, honour and pleasure to do it. Um, and it will be Karen's the same. So hopefully if we can bust the 10 grand by August the 5th, uh, I shall be a very, very happy man. And as a, as a return sort of favour to everyone, I promise never to post my grid on uh, social media ever again. Unless you need it for trick or treat night, when you can put a picture of me on your uh, window and 
That way you're guaranteed a quiet night because no children are going to come knocking on your door. Will do. I'll get a full human-sized print out of you and put it on my door. <laughs> you need a lot of cardboard, mate. But we'll see. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Um, so, Nina, I'm going to have to ask you to wait just a little bit because uh, there's you know big big news going on in the in Snake on Snake Island, and I'm sure that's probably what you want to talk about anyway. Let me just outline a little bit of what what we know. Both Russian and Ukrainian ministries of defense have reported that Snake Island has been struck last night um, and that Russians have left and abandoned Snake Island. So the Russians said they've abandoned it as well. This isn't conjecture. You know, they, they say it themselves. Um, Gani, can you give us a little bit of a context? What does this mean? What does this mean for Ukraine? And how did Ukraine achieve a naval victory without, a, you know, naval? Again, yeah. So, so Snake Island, from what we can tell, um, it was a replacement for the Moskva. Um, take Snake Island first of all, um, fortify it. So, put short range air defense on there, put a big long range air search radar, uh, which we think was NATO codenamed Spoon Rest, really massive, um, fairly low frequency radar. Uh, which would allow them to see very far into Ukrainian airspace from from the coastline. Um, put in signals intelligence stuff so they can listen in what's going on in Ukraine and maybe U- uh, Romania. And then um, we we think there was a multiple rocket launch system put in there, probably for for counter battery fire and maybe to shoot at any surface targets they fancy. And then probably they they if they didn't manage to get one in, they certainly had aspirations to put in at least one long range surface to air missile system in. What that would have allowed them to do with um, airborne early warning aircraft would be to really mess the Ukrainians around in terms of air operations southern Ukraine. Uh, it wouldn't have stopped it, but it it would have stolen the initiative a bit. Um, allowed them to interdict air operations. Um, maybe run combat air patrols, so a pair of fighters over Snake Island um, to to kind of leg it around and maybe intercept targets of opportunity and just generally be a pain in the ass, as well as saying this is Russia, therefore all the gas and possibly oil in the area also belongs to Russia. Um, we, we started getting indications a few days ago um, the Ukrainians were hitting things um i thought initially they were using tube artillery i asked cj who uh, of course is um one of, one of our resident gurus of artillery stuff he said probably no unless it was excalibur uh i think it probably was excalibur i think they they hit probably used excalibur to kill one or two things of real interest maybe the radar uh, maybe the counter battery radar if they had one there and then we think we've narrowed down where the Ukrainians put put a battery in, about 26 nautical miles away from Snake, um, and having degraded 